Daniels Podcast, and it is our weekly MMA episode with my co-host, Will Brewer. Will, happy Saturday, a little bit delayed this week. It is fight day, the final fight day of 2021 for the UFC. Uh, we've got an awesome card, by the way, to close this year. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. It's uh, I'm, I'm a lot better than I was uh, last Wednesday when we did the show. I, I might have been feeling a little pressure, but you know now, <laughs> um, after last Saturday's events... Um, and just a roller coaster of uh, of emotions that whole night presented. But then at the by the end of it, I was like, you know, I'm I'm further and further away from a shoey, so I'm feeling pretty good. No doubt. I you know if if that card hadn't been as spectacular as it was last Saturday night, I would probably be in a much worse mood, seeing as how I'm on the doorstep of taking a shoey. But that card was so awesome when it was all said and done. The fact that your lead grew didn't phase me all that much. I was still just completely wowed by what we watched. Man, I don't think there's ever been a card um, that I've ever watched where my uh, emotions were so like all over the place. Like it was, there was knockouts. The fights were awesome. Uh, even if there was a decision, like there was some type of theater in it. Like it, like, all of the fights, uh, there was something to love. And just that whole night, man, it, it was a crazy night. Like after the co-main was over, I mean, the the shocking upset, and then. I couldn't I couldn't even resonate that there was just a high level main event to come. Like by the time the main event started, I was like, OK, I need to lock in because yeah. I was still so blown away by what we had seen up to that point. So it was just crazy. I mean, think about when the when the prelims ended. Right. Like I felt like we had just watched a really good fight night card and we still had a UFC pay-per-view caliber main card ahead of us. Like I was like, holy cow, this has been awesome. Yeah, yeah, the, the prelims were so good, man. Just like it started out knockouts, and then uh, the uh, Cruz and Muno, Munoz fight was awesome. And then you, the, the Cruz and Munoz fight was so good that you almost kind of take for granted what you saw from Josh Shimon and Dan Ige. So <laughs> it was just a crazy, crazy night of fights all around from top to bottom. It was, I mean, I'll probably get your thoughts on this later, but it might be my pick for a fight for a uh, card of the year. Might be. There's been some awesome cards. I don't want to be a, a, a prisoner of recency bias, yeah. but this, that card was was pretty was pretty amazing. It's in the conversation. Um, I had you know last month's pay per view was was right there as well. I mean, what a finish for the UFC to 2021 when you consider that. What was it? Uh, was the last pay per view Gaethje and Chandler opening the main card? Yeah. I mean that that one like when that when that was done I was I was exhausted I was so just emotionally I guess exhausted from the roller coaster ride that 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 thing even kicked off with with Chandler and Gaethje that uh, that that entire card was badass um, yeah we'll, we'll um, so next week we're gonna do our like year end like fight of the year uh, fighters of the year card of the year all that good stuff so we can ponder on that for the next week after uh, we get through today's card but uh, yeah it was it was fantastic I mean it start to finish it was awesome. And like I said a moment ago, I mean, what a finish to 2021 for the UFC. Uh, let's start with the main event, uh, the lightweight champion and still Charles Oliveira. And let's kind of go through this in a step-by-step -step process. Um, starting with that first round, Will, what did you think of that first round? Well, first of all, I just want to say like, Kudos to us for giving Charles Oliveira the credit he deserves because a lot of these shows are just going yeah. right to the co-main event, which, I mean, it was great, but, I mean, we got to give Charles Oliveira his flowers because he was the main event, so we uh, should start with him. But anyways, that first he round— He was the main event uh, that everybody was discounting in this matchup. I mean, seemingly the collective MMA community was ready to hand Dustin Poirier the belt, like thinking this was going to be a walkthrough. Yeah, and then when it's all said and done, I think the the narrative on him shifts. But like throughout the whole process, we were like, "Look, 
This is going to be a close fight. I mean, please don't count him out. I mean, even though a lot of people were picking Dustin, we were like, we like Dustin, but it's not just like a, we don't think it's just like going to be a, a run through. Uh, Charles Oliveira is tough, but I was shocked. I, I, I got to admit, I was shocked to see Charles Oliveira run across the cage and get right in his face. I mean, that just, that spoke volumes to me. I mean, he, he was, he threw Poirier right into the fire and that actually is a, a perfect uh, game plan because Dustin likes to settle into the fights. Um, he likes to. He, I'm not gonna say he starts slow, but he likes to um, process things first. He doesn't really uh, like to go into the firefights right off the bat, and that's exactly what he was in right when uh, the, the fight started. Charles was in his face, and credit to Dustin because he was uh, landing some crazy shots, uh, getting in his face, getting into a brawl. We knew Dustin had more power. Uh, Charles felt the power, got dropped a few times, but it, he was right back in his face at each time, uh, and. Dustin never uh, Dustin didn't uh, overexert himself to try to get the finish, but I mean maybe he should have with how <laughs> with how we saw that the next few rounds went. But Charles just being in his face, uh, and then just when I see Charles now, he looks like he is a solid 155er now. Like he doesn't look like he's the uh, skinny, just lanky guy um, that we saw in years previous. Like he looks like he's had some, he's added some size. So um, I was really impressed with what I saw from Charles in the first round, but. I say that I say that all, but Dustin did win that round. You can right. make a case that it was a 10-8, but he did uh, win that round. I think Charles landing the big knees for me was was what maybe keeps it from being a 10-8 because I don't know about you, but watching that in real time, I, I thought those did a lot of damage, and I thought Dustin's body language after that round ended was bad. I thought those knees really messed him up, and, and I, I kind of felt like he was trying to put on a good game face, but... I just I felt like those knees really took something out of him, and he looked massively uncomfortable at the end of that round. He certainly won it. I thought there was a massive power differential in terms of when Dustin Poirier's fists would land versus what Charles Oliveira was was throwing from a hand standpoint. But man, those those body blows I thought played a pretty significant role. And and you talked about dropping Charles and maybe not going for the finish. I think that Dustin Poirier knew what kind of danger he was going to be in if they ever got into a situation where Charles Oliveira could get his hands on him. We saw that in the second round. I mean, Dustin essentially gave the second round away, and we'll get into that in a second. And you saw how quickly Charles got his back and finished it in the third round. I don't think Dustin even wanted to chance getting too close to Charles, especially if Charles is hurt where he's just going to grab onto him out of maybe just sheer trying to stay alive. Um, so I, I think the patience probably worked. I, I think that was probably the right thing to do. Uh, given the mismatch in terms of, of how the rest of the fight went. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Charles Oliveira certainly uh, pushed the pace, pushed the tempo, made Dustin fight a firefight in round one, which Dustin won the round, but it, it, it in some way probably took Dustin out of his, his uh, game plan, which is, you know, methodical, kind of map out your plan in round one and then put it all together in the remaining rounds. And you started all of that off by talking about us giving Charles Oliveira credit. I mean, I, I was literally on the fence about picking the two guys. And the decider for me was the fact that I thought this would be a really good fight. I thought it would go the distance. I didn't think it was going to be a finish one way or the other. I thought we were going to have a really good close fight for five rounds. And the reason I went Dustin in the end is because Dustin's been through a million five round wars. Charles Oliveira has never fought in championship rounds. And and that was the difference for me. Uh, but Charles Oliveira, I think uh, certainly has proved a lot of people wrong. He is a very deserving champion. And when you look at the overall skill set. And what he survived from Dustin in round one. This is the second fight in a row where he's been clipped early in a fight and keeps coming back. And that's what people have questioned about him, right, is the heart or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. But but he has faced adversity in both of his championship fights and come back and won. And, and uh, I just, what a champion. I, I think uh, 
in terms of marketability, Charles Oliveira's marketability went through the roof with that win on Saturday night. Um, round two, I mean, Charles Oliveira gets Dustin on the ground, and that was the round, right? Like, Dustin essentially waved the white flag with, like, four minutes to go or whatever it was, uh, and just, I mean, took a ton of damage, but he was so worried about getting submitted that he essentially didn't even want to fight back, right? He wanted to just ride out that entire round, hope to get to the next round where they're on their feet. I thought that was a really bad sign. Like, I, I literally went from, I think Dustin's going to catch him at some point uh, after that first round was over to, I, I don't see where Dustin's winning this now. Oh, man. Um, yeah, when he got him down, I mean, I, I, I get it, right? I mean, we know how good of a... Um, how good Charles is on the ground with his jujitsu. Like we know uh, any, if, if Dustin were to try to explode, like in there, any type of movement, like Charles could have uh, wrapped it up in some sort of submission. Like, so I, I get it. But at the same time, like, you know, just waving the white flag like that, that's just a bad, a bad look. Um, you don't want to see that. Um, essentially just him giving up and giving the round away. I mean, you want to see him at least like try to do something, but at the same time you understand because Charles is so good on the ground, but um yeah, man, Charles, when he, when he was able to get him down and just land in the ground and pound, did enough to keep it on the ground, uh, it just showed, like, there's so many layers to his game. I think that th this whole narrative of him uh, uh, not having heart and, you know, not being able to overcome adversity, I think he just, with these last two fights, I think, he, <laughs> what can you say about him now? <laughs> yeah. These are, not only are the, is he overcoming adversity, but these are championship fights that he's doing this in the highest level that you can get in in this sport he's uh, over he's facing adversity overcoming it and coming out on top in all of it so that whole narrative man you, we 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 can't say that anymore uh, everyone saying this Gaethje and everyone it, i mean we can't say it anymore charles Oliveira has proven himself but in that second round there's just he showed that there's so many layers to his game first round he's coming out with knees he's kind of fighting dustin's fight and he lost that round but in the second round he, he changed it up and i don't think dustin was really was uh anticipating that and uh that round definitely was a 10-8. I mean, because that was a complete wipeout. Oh, Dustin gave it away. It was a, it was a complete 10-8 round for Charles. The other thing that I think I came away with at the end of that second round was 10-8 for Charles, uh, dominant performance, and I definitely went to, like, Charles is going to win this fight. But the main thing I thought is, I mean, Dustin just showed Charles Oliveira that, like, he wants absolutely no part of the fight taking place in that realm. So naturally, what is Charles Oliveira going to do? Go right, He's go gonna right go back right to the back. Right, like Dustin didn't even <laughs> put up a fight. Like it wasn't even a situation. Where, I mean, Charles knows he has an advantage in that area. But for the guy to not even put up a fight in that area, like you know that you're one move away from either a 10-8 round or a finish because it, it's, it's so lopsided in that department. I just thought it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time before Charles gets him back in that position, either finishes the fight or does exactly what he did in round two. And... Man, I mean, right off the bat in round three, right? Like, I mean, it's like the round begins, and if you blinked, you open your eyes again, and Charles Oliveira's on Dustin Poirier's back. Now, you know, I, I can't remember how Charles got him down in the second round, but uh, in the third round, he got him down with a body lock takedown. Uh, he, he, he's not really much of a double leg, single leg, you know, sweep guy or anything like that. He gets his takedowns from from the body lock, and I would have thought that Dustin would have trained that position uh, in the in camp, but just the way that Charles was able to get there so easily, I was like, man, like Dustin, come on now, like that that was way too easy for him to just get there. It just seemed like he Dustin might have threw a punch and Charles just sli slipped over to the other side, yep. 
and was able to just, you know, get there. Uh, it was it was crazy. I thought Dustin would have been able to uh, have a better game plan in terms of that. But once the once the grappling, once he got it there into the body lock and took his back, I mean, I, I knew it was over, man. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was just it was sad to see because you you could see it starting to go down and you start to think like, man, Dustin's fought all this time. He's put all this work in and it's about to be over. But yeah, it, it was yeah. it was sad to see. Yeah. Uh, what a night for Charles Oliveira. Um, I mean, Oliveira Gaethje, Will, how badass is Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje going to be? I mean, just thinking about how Charles ran across the cage to Dustin, I, I tend to wonder if he's going to do that with Justin because that's the type of stuff that he loves. <laughs> that's the type of stuff that he loves. Uh, I think that's just a part of Charles Oliveira's uh, style, but I think that it kind of plays into, a, um, into what Justin Gaethje does. I think he's going to have to get it to the ground for sure because I don't think he's going to be able to last uh, many rounds with uh, Justin Gaethje fighting like he did against Poirier in that first round. Uh, but, yeah, just the matchup itself, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be crazy. Uh, yeah. Who do you who do you favor in that one? Like, who do you think is going to be the betting favorite? I think Charles Oliveira will be the betting favorite. I think he has more ways to win the fight, and I think there's also um, one of my one of my good friends says has a, a phrase that I love. He says, "Life is a course of overreactions or overcorrections." Right? Like everybody overcorrects all the time. You're wrong about something, and then you swing so far the other way because you were wrong that you've overcorrected, and you're now too far on the other side of it. And I mean, literally, I, I feel like everybody went from completely disrespecting Charles Oliveira and thinking this guy was, I mean, essentially an interim champion holding the belt until Dustin Poirier ran through him to, I mean, in the last week, Will, I've seen everything from Oliveira would completely demolish Khabib to maybe the greatest 155 champ ever. Like, right. It's, it's, it's an overcorrection. So Charles Oliveira is a great champion. And I love the fact that people are finally respecting his ability, but the guy's also not bulletproof. I mean, you know, Justin Gaethje, do we forget what Justin Gaethje just went through with Michael Chandler? And I mean, Justin Gaethje right now is in the prime of his career as well. I think Charles Oliveira will be a slight favorite when that fight ultimately takes place. But I think that's a hell of a fight. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's going to be a, a slight favorite. Uh, I think that like, like you said, I mean, everyone's talking is trying to overcorrect with Charles, but let's not forget like, I mean, a couple of these swings, if they go uh, a different way, like with Chandler or with Dustin Poirier, we could be talking about one of those guys being the champion at this point. Uh, Oliveira has really uh, grown and he's really shown that he's uh, the champion. Like I, I thought going into the fight that Dustin was the number one lightweight in the world. I didn't want to discredit Charles, but I thought that Dustin was the top guy because, I mean, despite Charles be winning the title from Michael Chandler, I didn't think that he beat the best guy. And now he just beat, in what my, in my opinion, I thought he, that Dustin Poirier was the best guy, and Charles got him out of there. So Charles has uh, solidified himself as the as the top guy, as the champion. So um, now with all that, cha he's gaining championship experience. Um, I think this fight with Gaethje is going to be uh, is going to be incredible. I think uh, Gaethje, the way he's being coached now, like the way he's accepting the coaching from Trevor Whitman, uh, like when he's telling him, like, man, you're trying to kill him, just like take 30% off your punches. And I think that he said that in like two or three different fights, and, and each time like Justin Gaethje is just like demolishing these guys. Right. It's it's crazy to see, uh, but I love that matchup, man. I, that's that's a very intriguing matchup. Like I wanted to see Dustin uh, Poirier and Justin Gaethje running back, but I mean just this matchup here with uh, with Gaethje and Oliveira, I, I love this one as well. Uh, I also love the Oliveira Islam potential matchup at some point down the road. Uh, I mean, what a fight that would be.
Uh, Dustin Poirier, uh, this week has kind of been a, a roller coaster ride, Will, because I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember what day it was this week, but news surfaced that it sounded like potentially it was going to be Poirier Nate Diaz at UFC, what, seventy uh, or seventy one? Yeah, two seventy, yeah. In January, that uh, I mean, I, I think the UFC was even promoting that, and then it kind of fell apart and doesn't sound like it's going to happen. Nate Diaz took to Twitter and, and said something along the lines of, "The UFC doesn't want to pay." They don't think Dustin's good enough and doesn't want to pay him the, the money that it would take to make that fight happen. And then I saw something like Dustin told the UFC yes, and maybe it's going to be put together by UFC 271. Um, so it's not, it was like, this is happening, then it's not happening, and now it sounds like it may still be happening just a month later. Um, there, there was a lot of conversation over the last week about Dustin Poirier's three five-round fights in 2021 and the preparation that that takes and, and maybe how much that takes out of you. Um this wouldn't be nearly as much because it would be a three rounder and you're not cutting nearly as much weight at 170. So I, I, I think it's, it's realistic to be able to maybe turn this around very, very quickly. And look, Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier is going to be nothing but a stand-up war and sign me up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely sign me up. The buildup would be great. The fight itself would be great. Uh, we know uh, what Nate Diaz brings to the table. He just wants to stand and box. We know how good Dustin is on the feet. Uh, so just the, the matchup, uh, the stylistically would be great. And, you know, there's he's been fighting these guys who are so talented. I mean, Conor McGregor's so good at with this stand-up. Um, Charles Oliveira, like Mike, Max Holloway, uh, all these guys he's fought. I think Nate Diaz just is just a really fun matchup, you know. Uh, he doesn't have to cut in any weight. He can just go train uh, for the love of it and uh, make a lot of money in the process. So, uh, yeah, for me, sign me up. I, th I think it's a good – it's a it's the right matchup for Dustin after a, a heartbreak uh that he suffered with with Charles Oliveira. I think this is the right matchup to go into. I think if you were to fight another lightweight like a Michael Chandler or a Rafael dos Santos or something, I don't think his heart would necessarily be in it. Uh, but this one, I think uh, this this would just be him having fun. All right, let's move on to the co-main event, and I will just start with one simple question: greatest upset in UFC history? Question mark. I think, man, I I think it is. I really think it is because. This is someone who we who we're talking about, Amanda Nunes, the greatest female fighter of all time. She's got two uh, UFC titles. I think the only thing that people are trying to uh, not make this the biggest upset in UFC history is the betting line. And I'm like, okay, like the betting line is what it is, but like, let's look at the the resumes. You know, like for everyone that Amanda Nunes has beaten in the, in the first round and made it look easy, Chris Cyborg. Ronda Rousey, uh, she's beat Holly Holm, like all these former champions. She took the title from Misha Tate. She's beaten all of the other uh, UFC champions at 135. And then Juliana Pena comes, and nobody really thought much of it. I mean, you you knew Juliana just was saying all the right things, but you you think like, okay, she's saying that to build a fight. I'm, I'm interested in, in watching this now because of how confident she is. But you never really thought, like, we, we, we're in a world where we're looking at Amanda Nunes and Valentina being the best, and then there's just everybody else. Like, nobody really thought that Juliana was actually going to win. I mean, you, you saw that there was a path, but you really you didn't really think it was going to come to it to fruition because of how great of a champion Amanda has been. So, for me, I think it's the greatest upset of all time. I, I, I think that it's a, it's a toss-up between uh, Nunes, uh, Pena, and then... Uh, Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva because of just yeah. like how the moment made me feel <laughs> like I could not believe that Anderson Silva got knocked out. I could Great. not believe that Amanda Nunes just lost. Like I, I could not believe what I, what I was watching and just, yeah, the, for, I think it's the greatest upset ever. 
It's it's interesting for me because it's a massive upset. And when we did the the podcast last Wednesday, like I literally didn't even give analysis for this fight. I said two words, Amanda Nunes. Like that was all I was willing to contribute because I wasn't even going to entertain the idea that Juliana Pena was going to even put up a good fight. And then I watched the press conference and the the face-offs and I text you and I was like, dude, Juliana, there's like, I got a vibe from her. Like there's putting on a show. And then for me, at least there's, there's body language where I feel like it's an act and there's body language where language where I'm like, I really believe this person thinks they're going to win. And I just, I got a vibe from Juliana Pena. Not, and I, I'm not trying to say that I felt like she was going to win or anything like that, but the vibe I got from her literally took me from, I'm not even entertaining the fact that this could be close to just thinking like, Maybe she's going to make this at least a fight, right? Like, make Amanda earn it, but Amanda's still going to, you know, and still. And, uh, you know, the fight starts, and I think I text you right as that fight starts. I'm just like, I hope we get a good fight here. Uh, so, like, just her confidence and vibe when she was staring down Amanda face-to-face kind of gave me a completely different vibe than I had before, uh, before all of that happened and when we talked last Wednesday. And then the fight starts, and, I mean, one jab from Amanda and I thought oh man big trouble right like that one jab puts Juliana on her butt and you just think man this is going to be a bloodbath and we all knew what the path potentially would have to be for Juliana to win this fight the fact that Will she just went into a brawl and literally out brawled Amanda in round two to the point that she broke the goat the greatest champion of all time in women's MMA was broken in the stand-up by Juliana Pena to the point that she was tapping before Juliana even did anything on the right. Like it was over. Juliana even said, like, I hadn't even got anything locked in yet. And they're pulling me off and, and saying that it's over because Amanda was quitting. Like, that was mind-blowing to watch it go that way. And I think in terms of like greatest upsets, sometimes people think about their shock, the amount of shock, right, when it happens. And I, I've heard like Holly Holm Ronda Rousey brought up a couple times this week because it was a one shot, like, oh my God, it's over, right? Like this had a lead up where you saw it coming, right? Like we all knew a minute before this thing ended that Juliana Pena was going to win win the fight, right? Like it, it, we were all seeing it shift in that direction before it actually happened. Whereas like when Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey, it literally went from, oh my God, it's over. Like there was a massive amount of shot because it was a one strike thing. Juliana Pena had this massive lead up in the second round to the point that Amanda quit. That was just mind blowing. Yeah, well, I'll say this about Holly and Ronda. There was a clear gap in the stand-up, and Ronda needed to get that to the ground, like, immediately, like, by any means. And she uh, kept that fight stayed standing, and there was just such a gap. You could kind of see it coming, but, I mean, just the fact that she still, like, head kicked her and Ronda fell, like, it was just like, wow. (laughs) Like, that was crazy. Um, So... I want to go back to the first round of this uh, Nunez and, and, and Pena fight really quick because when Amanda dropped her with the jab, she went down and and kind of started with the with the ground and pound. And I I, I was kind of confused by that because the, there's only one path for Juliana to win, and it was it was by being on the ground. So Amanda goes to the ground, they're kind of working on the ground and stuff, and then towards the end of the round. You see Juliana have this uh, was it a uh, was it a Kimura that she almost had? Like she was working on the arm, 
Yeah. And like you could like you could see like even Joe and DC and, and they were like, oh, like Juliana might have this like the, like she has this song. Like this is something this is something. In fairness, was, they say that about almost every single. Right. Like it's in deep. It's in deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They said they yeah. saw they saw that uh, that it was something. And yes. like Amanda, Amanda's face, like it kind of changed a little bit. She looked up to her corner and it kind of seemed like she was waiting for some like assurance. Like, what should I do? Uh, but you could say, you could tell like Julian had a little something like not something that it would be like locked in, but it made Amanda kind of stop. Just the fact that Juliana kind of had her in a, in a situation like that. I thought that was a little worrisome, but going into the, going into the second round, I was like, okay, you know, Amanda doesn't really look that tired. Um, you know, she looks like she's good, but in that second round, man, um, when they start to brawl, normally when, when Amanda hits someone, like they go flying across the cage, like it, it's it's pretty crazy. So like I'm I I can you could tell Amanda was putting a lot into these shots, and Juliana was kind of eating them. Like you could tell like they were affecting her. Like uh uh Juliana's eyes all messed up, but Juliana's is still there. She's still throwing throwing with her, and Amanda just couldn't maintain that level of that uh, that level of pace, that level of power. And you could just see like Juliana just kept jabbing at her. I mean, her technique isn't the greatest, but she just she just showed that she had so much dog in her to keep going at Amanda like that. And nobody has ever done that to Amanda. No one's ever stood in and brawled with her. Like Cyborg, Cyborg tried to brawl with her, and the fight lasted like 48 seconds. Yeah. But Juliana just stayed in there, and uh, Amanda just got so tired. It was it was crazy to see because at first when the brawl started like started, Amanda was kind of smiling at her, you yeah. know, kind of she was showing all this confidence. But you could see as the jazz were and, and the punches were starting to land, like her face. Everything changed. Like it, you could, you could just see it on her face. And then, like you know, as, as the you know, in like Mortal Kombat, when you have the two people like in the middle and they're they're exchanging, and you have the like energy meters at the top. Yes. Like literally, I felt like that's what I was watching, and Juliana Pena's meter wasn't moving at all. And like literally, I was watching Amanda's like energy meter like <laughs> drastically going down, and like that's the that's just the vibe I got. I was like, this is about to be over. Holy shit, this is about to be over. Yeah, when when Juliana's landing, she landed like four or five straight left jabs with no like Amanda's hands were down. Like I was, it was it was just crazy. See, I'm thinking like I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I I said it like three times. Like oh my gosh. And then she landed this combination, and and Nunez went to the went back to the uh to the cage. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like she's hurt. She's she's exhausted. And then the takedown was so easy. I was like, oh yeah, she's done. She's done. Like that yeah. takedown was there was no fight back or anything. Like you could tell like once she got on the ground, like Amanda was exhausted. And then uh, Juliana ended up finishing it. Like I, it was more of a, I am so tired. I just went out. Yeah. I'm broken. I quit. Like I, I, I don't have it anymore. Uh, more than it was uh, what Juliana had on the ground. But it, but amazing performance from Juliana. A lot of people are talking about what Amanda didn't do, but credit to Juliana for all that she went in and did. Yeah. It, what it was, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, what a moment. I mean, it's it's an all time moment in UFC history, regardless of whether you think it's the greatest upset or not. It's uh, it's it's on the Rushmore, if you will, and uh, yeah, I'm I it, it was stunning to watch that second round play out the way that it did, and to watch what was she when the fight started like plus nine hundred or something absurd yeah, like something, that. Yeah, something crazy to watch like the that. plus nine hundred underdog literally fight Amanda's fight and break the greatest of all time was mind blowing. And you know. I want to say this because I don't think too many people have have mentioned this, but when Amanda got on the scale and when Amanda on fight day, like Amanda looked incredible. I don't think I've ever seen Amanda look that good, like body wise. Like normally she has a little bit of 
like her body's not cut, she's not shredded, but she was shredded on the uh, uh, on the scale and then into the fight. She looked shredded. She looked great. I did not expect at all. I thought, you know, she trained so hard uh, that the um, that the cardio wasn't even going to play a factor. She looked that good, but maybe maybe she was overtrained because it's just incredible that she looked that good on the scale and then she just by the second round. Uh, a, a bra like that just took all of the all of the energy out of her. I, I was I was shocked by that. Or is it maybe at a point where that weight cut just leaves doesn't leave enough left in the tank? Yeah, right. Because yeah. she's a two division champ. This is the light division that she competes in of the two. I mean, and and like, ha, has she ever been tested to that degree? I mean, since uh, Valentina at that weight class? No, no, she hasn't. And even in that fight, I mean. You could settle into the fight, and you could like it's a chess match. It's right. not a brawl, <laughs> right? So she's she hasn't been tested like that um, since since probably her last loss. Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe the weight cut plays a factor here um, at that at, at least at at uh, one thirty five. Um, regardless, uh, Dana said in the in the post fight presser that uh, millions of dollars potentially lost for what could have been the Kayla Harrison uh, Amanda Nunes super fight. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the UFC has a potential star if they're able to sign Kayla Harrison. Uh, they have a, st- a star like she has the look. Uh, she has the credentials. She has the fight style. She you know, she's very marketable. So they have a, a, a superstar in their hands if they're able to get her. She can uh, she can talk the talk. You know, she's good on the mic. So they have a star and they know that. And, you know, for how great that Amanda's look, you bring in someone uh, who's undefeated, who's an Olympic Olympian. Like they could have sold the the hell out of that fight and made it to where like everyone's wanting to see this. Like they could have made this like the biggest women's fight of all time. Um, yeah, they they definitely missed out. Uh, and it was right there on the doorstep. Like I know that uh, they put Kayla Harrison in the front row for a reason. Uh, all Amanda had to do is just get this win, and then uh, we're off to the races. You're making a lot of money. Uh, I know they're teammates, but I think the UFC would have threw so much money at them that they would have just had to fight each other. If uh, if Amanda gets this belt back, I, I kind of wonder. A, I wonder how much of the shine has gone from Amanda in terms of like this this aura of invincibility. And look, maybe that opens the door to making more money because people feel like there's at least a chance for somebody else. I, I don't know, but I wonder if it makes more sense to if she gets 135 back and becomes the champ champ again, that the immediate next fight for her is Kayla at 145, or if there was ever the time to maybe pass the baton within the UFC currently, is this the time for the Valentina trilogy fight at 135 if Amanda gets it back? I would I, I would almost I would want to see um Amanda fight Kayla Harrison a little more because we've seen Amanda uh fight Valentina twice. But if Amanda if there was ever a situation where Amanda was like, I need to take some time off, I would actually love to see Valentina jump in and fight Juliana Pena for the for the 135 title. I mean, she hasn't had the opportunity to to be a double champion. Uh, she's fought Amanda twice. You know, uh, Dana doesn't really seem like he's all into it, them fighting again. But she has a win over Juliana Pena already. She She's basically the number one contender at 135, but she's just uh, fighting at 125. So, I mean, I, I, would, I would love to see Amanda and Valentina run it back, but it doesn't seem like Dana is really on board with it. But then you bring in a new... Um, superstar and Kayla Harrison, uh, and then there's no really blood. There's no blood at 145 at all. So just right. that ad- automatically gives that division a, a ton of life. So I would want to see uh, Amanda and Kayla Harrison. 
Uh, any other thoughts on uh, Pena, Nunez, or uh, what happened Saturday there? Um, man, I would love to see the rematch. I, w- I wonder how it's going to go. Uh, a, a part of me wants to just be like, you know, Amanda's going to come out here and just kind of uh, smoke her this time. But, you know, just the fact that Juliana just knew for all these years, she knew that she had the blueprint to beating her. And then on the night, it actually yeah. played out exactly the way that she said. Um, it makes me want to see it even more. So I, w- I can't wait for the rematch. Uh, it's going to be awesome. All right. Before the co-main event on Saturday, we had Jeff Neal, Santiago, Ponzinibbio. Um, you know, maybe in terms of what the rest of this fight card looked like, this one uh, wasn't nearly as as maybe exciting. Uh, still a really good fight. And credit to Jeff Neal. I mean, for as much adversity as he's faced, I think we were uh, solidly on Ponzinibbio's side of this fight. But uh, big time performance for Jeff Neal in his first action, I believe, in a year, right? Yeah, since the uh, Neil Magny fight, uh, he had lost two in a row. Um, he he was a pretty big prospect coming up before those two losses, and then he got sick, and um, and then the DUI and everything. So just you know everything was kind of working against him. But for him to come out and have that performance against a really really tough, durable guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio, um, it, it was just a, a great performance. Uh, it was a close fight, great fight, uh, closely contested. Uh, Didn't one of the decision. judges have it thirty twenty seven in this fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them had a third twenty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> there's all there's always got to be one bad uh, judge that gives one a score like ass. that. Yeah, yeah, just one dumbass. So, I mean, it was a close fight. Um, but you know, Jeff Neal got, did what he had to do. I thought he won the fight. Uh, kudos to him, man. Yeah. Uh, Kai France, Cody Garbrandt was, uh, you know, one of those fights where I think we were just asking the question. For Cody Garbrandt, like, what is this weight cut going to leave Cody with? Because when you think about the speed and the power and dropping down to 125, you think it, it's automatically a big-time recipe for him to move right to the top. But, you know, dropping another 10 pounds, there have been a lot of questions about his chin. I think some of those questions quieted down after the the war with Rob Vaught. He, he showed that he could take a lot of big shots in that fight. But, you know, the questions didn't completely get erased from that standpoint. Uh, Kaikar France catches him with a big shot, and now I think we're a looking at Kaikar France with a big opportunity to get a title shot, and b asking the question, "What's next for Cody?" I, I think I even texted you immediately after that fight, like, "Is Cody done? Like, what do you do with him now?" I mean, it's it's another you know he drops down to one twenty five and still takes a big shot. I, I don't know I don't know what the UFC's thoughts are going forward. Yeah, it's it's a real tough spot to be in uh, for Cody Garbrandt, man. Uh, you know, becoming the champion uh, at like ten and zero or eleven and eleven and zero, whatever he was, um, and then just like since then, TJ knocks him out twice, and then uh, Pedro knocks him out. Just like he's had such a a, a bad uh, series of luck in these last few fights. But you you know, there's potential there. You know, there's uh, there's some skill there. There's power. There's speed. But uh, that chin, man, once it goes, man, it goes. And there was a lot of questions about uh, how well his chin would hold up at at this weight, uh, dropping another 10 pounds um, to get to flyweight. I think that uh, Kai Car France just landed an unbelievable shot. Just like that's he's probably the most powerful guy outside of uh, Figueredo in the 125 pound division. I think that it might have been. out of out of everyone that Cody could have fought, that this was probably the the worst matchup for him. Someone who's a, a heavy puncher. Uh, I'm on I'm kind of on the side of him staying at flyweight and working his way back up. Um, because I don't 135 is just too deep, man. There's no yeah. there's no room for a Cody Garbrandt there. Like he he could, he could go into 135 and fight these money fights. Like he could, he could fight Sean O'Malley, 
I think Sean O'Malley would kind of run through him at this point. Yes. Uh, I kind of think that if you get if you match him up with the right people at flyweight, he could work his way back up to a title fight, and then he could um his body could be more uh more adapted to making the 125 pound cut, and maybe just um his chin would be more um. Well, I was going to say his chin would be a little more improved if he can fight some of these guys who are, aren't heavy hitters. But, I mean, <laughs> I think once, you, once your chin is gone, it's gone. But I'm kind of, I kind of want him to stay at 125 because I just don't think there's anything for him at 135. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a tough position to be in, and you're right. I mean, I, I, Sean O'Malley, I think, would – what do you think the odds would be for Sean O'Malley versus Cody Garbrandt? I kind of think that they would try to respect Cody a little bit, but I think at this point, Sean O'Malley would be like a minus 300 in that type of range. Or okay, something I like thought that. minus 400. So <laughs> I wanted to go 400, but I, I was like, yeah. I think they're going to respect him a little bit, so I'm going to go minus 300. Yeah, and and look, part of that is also just a massive respect to what Sean O'Malley has has shown. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Sean O'Malley hitting you with those same shots that Kai Car France hit you with, like, I, I don't think that's an easier path for sure. So, and. Uh, yeah, and then you're also talking about I think a pretty big size and reach advantage there. I mean, it uh, all bad. I think that's a bad, bad recipe for Cody Garbrandt. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, hopefully you give him another. You know, we have to remember there have been guys that have dropped weight classes and lost out of the gate, right? And and then exactly. kind of started putting it together. I mean, look at Aldo right now. Exactly. So uh, you know, I think it's just the fact that we've seen Cody clipped so many times over the last few years. That, that maybe it gives you reason to pause. But, yeah, I hope we at least see him get another opportunity at 125. And, look, it's 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 not like it's a division, and I'm not saying it's not talented, but it's certainly not full of killers like 135 is, right? I mean, there's there's a, there's a room, I think, for a Cody Garbrandt in, inside that top 10, maybe even that top five. So a- Absolutely, yeah. So I think that Kai Car France, I mean, looking back on it, uh, that was just a really – it was a good matchup. Like it's, he's got somewhat of a name, but like in terms of someone who's just going to be headhunting, uh, Kai Car France is that guy. Like I said, outside of Davidson Figueredo, I think he's the hardest hitter at 125. I think if you give Cody Garbrandt someone, uh, maybe in the top, uh, in the top ten, top five, uh, who kind of matches up a little bit better with Cody in terms of he's not going to try to take his chin, uh, you know, off his shoulders or, or whatever. So, I think there's a lot more room for Cody. Uh, I think. He made the cut pretty easily. Uh, it didn't seem like he was uh, like sucked out or uh, that he looked just bad on the scale. He kind of looked normal on fight day. So, I mean, I think that uh, the more he does his cut, the more he'll be adapted to it and everything. So I think you give Cody some um, another fight um, that it, it would kind of be good for him. But I, I, at the same time, if he loses that one, if he loses again at 125, yeah. Now that that puts him in, a, in an even worse spot, so I don't I don't know. I would like to see him at flyweight, but I mean, just his next fight is the biggest, most important one of his career. Yeah, I mean, it's it's potentially for his career. Oh, yeah, for his so, career, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the main card started with the uh, Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley ending uh, Holly and Paiva in really impressive fashion. I mean, Will, every time we see Sean O'Malley, I think we walk away like. Holy cow! This guy is getting better and better and better, and now all of a sudden you start to look at that 135 division that is as deep as any division, or I would say the deepest division in the UFC. Um, I still like 155 as the best division, especially at the top, but I think 135 is the deepest division in the sport. Uh, Sean O'Malley's now in the top 15. He just ran through a guy that uh, you know I, we I think we both agreed that Kyler Phillips beat Paiva, despite what the scorecard said, but. This was kind of a, you know, regardless of what that outcome was, I think the, the thought was 
this is a, a good, I, I don't know what the word would be, a good, like, test fight to see where Sean O'Malley is in terms of a guy that's kind of fringe ranking quality fighter in that division. And, uh, holy cow, like, what Sean O'Malley, I think you got to line him up with somebody big next, right? Like, you, you, you've kind of hit that point where either give him a new deal or do something because it's it's time. Like, it's it's got to be a, a Dominic Cruz or a Corey Sanhagen or a Rob Font or somebody along those lines for Sean O'Malley. Yeah, um, you know, Piva is a really talented guy. Um, we knew that he could be hurt with uh, what Kyler Phillips did to him in that first round. And we knew that Sean O'Malley was such a technical striker that he was going to find uh, the opening to land something crazy. And uh, he did it. And once he had him hurt, it was, it was a wrap from there. Sean O'Malley, like, he, he, he uses his link, uh, manages distance so well, um, and he really picks his shots. He doesn't really overextend himself. Um, yeah, Sean O'Malley, he's, he's getting better by the fight. And as the competition gets better, it seems like Sean O'Malley is getting better. Um, Sean O'Malley, he's number 13 in the, rank, in the rankings now. Um, I'm not quite sure if they give him, if they reach for the stars and give him someone in the top five. I kind of, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I was thinking about who I wanted to see Sean O'Malley fight next, and I'm kind of on the um, seeing him fight a uh, Pedro Munoz or a uh, Marlon Moraes, uh, someone in the not the top five, but we're looking at maybe the the eight to twelve range. I could absolutely see that happening. I think both of those matchups are great matchups for Sean O'Malley, right? Like, I think that, uh, I mean, for either of those guys, it, those are both tough guys. Uh, but yeah, I think both of those guys are in big trouble against Sean O'Malley, just from a matchup standpoint. I don't think either one of those guys is a good matchup uh, for Sean O'Malley. So yeah, I think O'Malley runs through both of them. Uh, and look, Pedro's one of my favorite fighters out there. Uh, but yeah, I think both of those guys are, and, and, you know, this is also probably one of those things that even though you don't really need to help Sean O'Malley's star power, I mean, it's it's probably that that setup fight in terms of getting that big name on the resume before you go into the top five. So I, I think it would make a lot of sense in terms of getting him the best fight. I don't think that's what either one of those fights does, but it's you know it's certainly a, a fight that sets you up for a blockbuster. Yeah, and, and I I'm not I'm just on the I'm on the fence on if I think he's ready for the the elite of the elite at 135. But I think if you give him someone who's kind of been there, done that, like a um like a Marais, like a uh, Pedro Munoz, or even uh, Rafael Asuncao, who's fighting this weekend. You know, someone who's kind of a veteran of the game, who's been there, who's fought some of the tough guys, who's kind of well-rounded. Um, I, if Sean O'Malley gets through them, then I think you give him. Because, you know, it's kind of like he's, he's going from unranked guys, or, you know, Pablo was ranked for a time, and then he wasn't. Like, it was just like back and forth. And then you just give him right to the top five. I mean, I don't know if, if we've seen enough from him to, to be like, okay, I think Sean O'Malley's like a top five flyweight or a, a bantamweight right now um so i for me i would want to see him find one of those guys first but i mean i wouldn't be mad at all if he did end up finding a rob font or a Corey sanhagen out I, I wouldn't be mad at it at all i think those are both great matchups uh I, I think they would be a lot of fun stylistically i think they would be fun fights um I, i'll tell you who they're not going to give him they're not going to give him marab <laughs> man you know, we we talk about 135 and how good of the, the division is, and we talk about these matchups that we would love to see, and like the the fighters themselves, the guys on 135 talk about the uh, the the matchups they would love to see, and the fighters they're trying to call out and stuff. Nobody is calling out Marab. No. Nobody even mentions his name. Like there is, I think I think only like uh, Cheeto Vera has has said uh, Marab's name out of everyone in the last like six months or whatever. But nobody is is calling out Marab, 
It, it's crazy. No, no part like of that. You, like you, you hear um, oh his coach. What's his coach's name? Uh, Ray Longo. Ray Longo. Talking yeah. about him, and he's like, he's like, no one's calling out Marab. Like no one. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. There's, and I, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah, no one's calling out Marab. Like everyone's talking about Aldo and and Cruz and Sanhagen and all this. And like they're just kind of like skipping over Marab, like he's not there. Like Marab is a is like in the top five or top six right now, and he's on a he's on a winning streak. Like he's he's a player, and like no one's really calling him out. I'm very interested to see what his next fight is. But yeah, man, nobody's calling him out. Marab is the guy that you match up with somebody whose momentum you want to stop. Exactly. Like if there's a guy coming up too quickly that we're like, we need to slow this guy down. He's gonna (laughs) muddy the waters. Here you go. Here's Marab. You're oh, either man. going to lose yeah. or he's going to make you look like uh, you're not ready for a title shot. I mean, that's he's a bear. Yeah, out of out of all, out of everyone in the, in the top fifteen, I think I think Sean O'Malley would get a title shot before he fought Marab. It, it's yes. it's like it's like that. <laughs> well, and if you're the UFC, Sean O'Malley is on the verge of superstardom, right? Like he's he's oh, a star I, now. He's yes. on the verge of superstardom, like I, maybe not Conor McGregor level, but that kind of superstardom where I, I think to some degree his name image likeness to take a term from from college athletics is starting to supersede the sport to a degree right like he's 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 noticeable it's it's the hair and the fighting style and and all of that and the UFC we've said this a million times yes it's a sport but it's also about making money and you can make a lot of money off of that guy's name and off of that guy's fighting ability and I I, I mean if it's me I'm not ending the money train that is Sean O'Malley by putting him in the octagon against Marab. <laughs> like, be stupid. Just, yeah, just the thought of that, like, it, it's hilarious. Like, no, no one in their right mind would give Sean O'Malley to to Marab. Like, that would be like, ah, uh, that would be crazy. But yeah, Sean O'Malley's not gonna get Marab. Absolutely not. Um, I think, yeah, I think you give him someone like a, a name like a Pedro Munoz, someone who's been around. Um, and then if he gets through that, then we're talking about him getting into a top five fight. Um, but yeah, Sean O'Malley, he's a player. I mean, he's a star. Uh, everyone, everyone's going to be wanting to fight him. Everyone in the top 15, even people outside the top 15, everyone's going to want to fight Sean O'Malley because he's the, he's the guy that's selling the most. He's the guy that, that has all the eyes on him. So, I mean, now he's got the ranking behind it. You know, Sean O'Malley's in a good spot right now. Would you go O'Malley, Adrian Yanez? Is Yanez ranked? No. Ooh, I feel like he should be ranked for sure, man. Uh, I that's a that's a good one, man. I don't think I'd go O'Malley Yanez because I think you could make money off of that fight later. Okay. Uh, I think uh, at this point, uh, they're they're kind of at the same similar spot. Just O'Malley has more of a following, right? But Yanez is just as exciting of a fighter, and I think uh, at some point those guys will meet. But I think. Uh, Give us some time. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably Marais, Munoz, Edgar, one of those guys with a big name uh, that potentially is a big resume builder, but uh, one of those guys that, that is ranked but is on the decline as opposed to somebody in the top five. I, You know, if it's me, the fight I like the best is Rob Font and, and Sean O'Malley. So, You, you know, uh, yeah, I think at this point, uh, everyone's been talking about how he's, not, how he's been fighting unranked guys. I think you give him any ranked guy, no matter who it is, I think, you know, that's the that's the right fight for Sean O'Malley. As far as Rob Font goes, I, I was thinking about this when I was matching up the 135ers in my head. I kind of think that he's the next guy for Marab. Could be, yeah. I mean, Marab's going to have to fight somebody. Uh, you mentioned Cheeto Vera. I mean, there's another name. Cheeto Vera's number eight. 
I mean, if, if uh, Cheeto wants that fight, then, I mean, he might be the only one willing to take it. I, I don't know that any, like we just talked about, I, I don't think anybody else wants any part of that. So uh, maybe you just, you take that opportunity. I know that there's been conversations about a rematch between Cheeto Vera and Sean O'Malley as well. Um, I don't know that I have a great appetite for that right now, given just what's in that division. There's, I mean, that division's so good that I, I don't know that I'm like desperate for O'Malley, Cheeto Vera, but we know Sean O'Malley because of the star power is on a championship track and it makes a lot of sense for him to be able to avenge that loss at some point. So. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think at some point on this run um, for him to get to the title, I think he's going to have to uh, fight Cheeto Vera. I think at some point their paths will cross. Uh, I think right now Cheeto Vera is kind of just a, a step above him. And I mean, it shows in the rankings, like he's number eight. Uh, I think Cheeto Vera with that win against Frankie Edgar at MSG, uh, he, he needs to be fighting someone uh, ranked above him because he's got championship aspirations too. And even though Sean O'Malley's the the money fight in the division, um, you know what does that really do for Cheeto Vera to beat him again? Yeah. So I mean, it's it's great for O'Malley to get past him, but what does it do for Cheeto? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think Cheeto should be fighting some, uh, people kind of uh, ranked above him. Uh, we will loop back around to the feature prelim, but let's just stay in that division for a moment. Dominic Cruz, Pedro Munoz was an awesome fight. Uh, look, Pedro Munoz never fights in anything but awesome fights, which is why I, I love the guy so much. Um, when we did our picks last week, I, I took Pedro to be opposite, but I, I told you I felt like, you know, that Pedro's a guy that takes a lot of damage, and Dominic Cruz is a tough dude that that makes it hard to look good. He rarely lets you clip him clean, uh, even though Pedro got a couple big shots in in that first round. I just thought, this is a this is definitely a dominant Cruz outpoint you fight uh, with the you know maybe the chance that that Pedro lands something big. Uh, that's exactly what we saw. We saw dominant Cruz toughness displayed in the first round when he got clipped. Uh, he bounced back, but I mean rounds two and three, well dominant Cruz looked as good as he's ever looked. Right? I mean it was he's a puzzle that's difficult to solve. He's so awkward that it, you know it's it's hard to to catch him in those moments and. In the final ten minutes of that fight, Pedro really couldn't find an opening again, and Dominic Cruz, from a striking standpoint, I mean, looked as as good as he's ever looked. Yeah, you know, going into this fight, I questioned if Dom was still like, you know, was still that guy that could do all that, you know, be uh, unhittable and you know, still have the movement and everything, uh, because the Casey Kenny fight was a little too close. Like he did win, but it was a little, it was a little close. So, you know, I think that this was a good step up for him to fight a Pedro. And like you said, it was a good stylistic matchup. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I, I wondered. I was like, man, you know, I feel like Pedro gonna, is going to clip him. Uh, but still, as the fight um, got going, man, uh, it was still crazy to see Dom get hit because I'm, I'm not used to seeing him get hit, uh, right. you know, at all. Uh, all these years of all these fights that he's had and uh, just no one has been able to find the, the recipe to, to, to hit him. But Pedro is just so powerful. He's so explosive. Uh, to see Dom get dropped twice like that, uh, it was it was crazy to see. Uh, and then just for Dom to show how tough he is in, in the second and third round. Uh, and and then like when I got to see him flowing and I got to see him moving and everything, and to see his striking and to see it all come together, w watching those that second and third round, I was like, okay, that's the Dominic Cruz that that I've grown to, to know. That's the Dom that, that that was the champion. That's that's the Dominic Cruz that we've seen for all these years. So. Uh, I think he's back now. Uh, I think it took a fight with uh, with a guy like Pedro for him to really get his feet back in it. But uh, he's he's back now, uh, and I'm I'm very interested to see uh, what's next for Dominic Cruz. He's right up there with the with the top guys. What uh, if you're a matchmaker? What do you do with Dominic Cruz? Man, uh, so I tweeted this before uh, the fight, uh, probably like maybe a week ago. 
uh, I kind of thought, like, win or lose, I think Dominic Cruz should fight Corey Sanhagen. And uh, I think the matchup, you know, the matchup itself, uh, you know, it was supposed to happen, like, a, a few years ago. Um, but I think now, you know, Corey Sanhagen is still, he's lost a, a title fight, but he's still uh, in that title conversation. And I think uh, Dom is in that title conversation, but he's just like a step outside. So I think uh, you match those two guys up and, um, yeah, uh, Cruz and Sanhagen, I would love that matchup. Yeah, I th- I, first of all, I think that's a great fight. Uh, stylistically, like, I, it's just, that's going to be an awesome fight. But, uh, yeah, the winner, I mean, once again, is right back in the conversation in terms of uh, being a contender that you have to consider uh, to be in line for a championship opportunity. And uh, I, both guys are – Corey Sanhagen is so dangerous in his attack, and, you know, Dominic Cruz, once again, is just such a, an awkward, frustrating guy to face because of his style. And, yeah, it's that, that's a great matchup, and, and I just – I don't see where – Given Dominic Cruz's history, given the long layoff, the age, I mean, all of it, he's not fighting anybody that's not going to put him, you know, in that conversation. Like, I think the only fight he's taking at this point is going to be somebody that a win puts him next in line. Yeah, I think uh, we're only going to see him fight. I think it's either going to be uh, Corey Sanhagen. If TJ and Aldo doesn't happen, then I think he'll fight Aldo. Um but yeah, it's only going to be a, a, a select number of guys. It's not going to be. He's not going to fight Cheeto. I don't think he's going to fight Cheeto. I don't think he's going to fight uh, anyone ranked below him. I think it's going to be just people ranked above him. Uh, if for for my money, I think it, it's going to be Aldo or uh, Corey Sanhagen. But who wouldn't love to see a, a Cruz TJ fight? Yeah, you got to. I mean, to me, that fight was so close that it deserves to be ran back. Um, I just don't. I think TJ is, is probably on the. Um, like he's he's he knows that win over Corey got him a title shot basically so I think he's kind of kind of waited out and he's been hurt so yeah. if he wants to just jump back in it and he wants to uh, have a fight before you know he fights for the title then I think he's gonna fight Aldo but I mean I would love to see uh, Cruz and TJ running back that's a that's a fun matchup. All right the uh, the feature prelim was at featherweight uh, the return of Josh Emmett versus Dan Ige we knew this was gonna be a great fight and once again this one delivered this this fight was awesome. Completely underrated fight on this card. It, it, it gave me it gave me the uh, Shane Burgos and Billy Q fight because because <laughs> yeah. Dom, Dom and Pedro was so good that you really couldn't appreciate what Josh Emmett and Dan Ige did. I mean, props to Josh Emmett, man. His knee was completely fucked <laughs> after he fought. Uh, who did he fight? Was it Burgos that he just beat? Yes. Yeah, he just fought Burgos. His knee was completely jacked up. Uh, he's been out for for over a year. Comes back uh, against a very very tough guy in Dan Ige and. Uh, you know, it was it was a close it was a close fight, but you know, a lot of those rounds you could just give to Josh Emmett. Uh, Danny Gay, he he's tough as hell, but you know, Josh just was the more powerful guy, um, stronger guy. So, uh, credit to Josh Emmett, man. He's right. He's he's in the conversation when it comes to the top featherweights. I mean, there's kind of a gap in between you know Volkanovski, Holloway, and the rest of the division, but Josh Emmett is slowly working his way uh, up in that discussion. I believe there was also a 30-27 score in this fight which was also complete bullshit. And I'm asking, like, who the... Are you even watching the fucking fight? Like, what the right. fuck are you watching to score that a 30-27? Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, some of these rounds were close, but, yeah, there's no way Josh Emmett won all, all of them. I forget what round it was uh, that Danny Gay uh, uh, did really well. Round two, but right? Yeah, round two, yeah, yeah, round Danny two. Danny clearly won round two, I thought. Yeah, so, you know, Dan Ige, I mean, you got to give him credit, but I think um, when someone comes off of an injury and they look that good, I think that's kind of what uh, happened with TJ. People kind of start giving him the uh, the sympathy the sympathy vote. 
uh, in terms of the judges because you know you come back and no one expects you to do that well and you, you come you come out there and you look that good. That's kind of what that might be what what it is. I'm kind of trying to give the judge a little bit of a uh, of a pass here. No, nope. but at the end of the day, <laughs> he's just an asshole. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing, man? Come on, <laughs> watch the fight. For fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, there were two of those. Like thirty twenty seven. Where it's just like I, I don't even know like what's happening. What 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 do you? It's probably the same guy. Right. Um, yeah, it's got it's got to be. <laughs> what do you want to see for Josh Emmett now? Oh man. Um... He's he's right up there, man. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, I really want to see. I mean, there's Giga and there's um, he's fighting uh, Cater. Calvin Cater. Yeah. And then you have like Yair and Brian Ortega, who kind of you know they just came off of the really tough fights. So I don't know if he wants to be super active. But I would love to see him fight either uh, uh, Yair or a uh, or Brian Ortega, but. Uh, he could potentially fight a Korean zombie. I think, yeah. I think that would be a good one. Here's how, in my mind, the matchmaking goes at 145, if it's me. I'm going Ortega-Yair against each other. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I love the idea of Josh Emmett and Calvin Cater. I just think that that stylistically that would be a banger and a hell of a fight. But Calvin Cater's about to face Giga Chikadze. So Josh Emmett, Korean zombie, is, yeah. I mean, if, if that's what we're left with, I think that's an awesome matchup. Or, I mean, what if what if Josh Emmett fights Dan Hooker in his first fight at 145 since he got back down? That's a, that's a you know what? I hadn't even considered that, but I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, I think that's a pretty tough, great that's a tough-ass matchup for uh, Dan Hooker to come to for his first featherweight fight in, in, in years. But that matchup, uh, just on paper, that would be uh, pretty outstanding for sure. Well, for Josh Emmett, getting a win over a Dan Hooker, um, you know, certainly puts you in that top tier. Uh, which you kind of feel like right now he's probably just one step below that top tier. Dan okay. went over Dan Hooker probably puts you there. And for Dan Hooker, I mean, it's immediately a win over the number six guy. And your name alone, I think, probably allows you to move up the rankings quicker than, than you know, you would otherwise. And you punctuate that with a win over Emmett, and you're right there. So that's I hadn't even considered that, but that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's a very fun matchup. Um, you know, Dan hasn't made that cut in a while, but he showed that he's that he can make the cut. His coaches are against it, but I think at this point it makes a, a lot of sense for him to drop down to featherweight yeah. and then put him in there with the number six guy. Like you said, um, it catapults him right into the title uh, conversation with the win, so it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Dan Ige's now lost three of his last four. Uh, granted, I mean, those, those three are Calvin Cater, Korean Zombie, and Josh Emmett. By the way, Dan Ige's fought six times in the last two years. So he's been super yeah. active against top level competition. He's three and three in that stretch. Um, I, I, I love every time Danny Gay's in the octagon. You know, I, I tweeted or I didn't tweet. I, I text you this after the fight, just with how he, how he fights um, Danny Gay and uh, Shane Burgos. I think that's the, oh, that's the way to go. So good. <laughs> I, I think there's not really any, like any path for either guy right now. They're kind of like in this, <laughs> yeah. they're kind of in this just area, gray area. Limbo, right? Think, they're, they're both, yeah. Like t- extremely talented fighters, but they're not on yeah. the the top tier, uh, exactly. and and they're both anytime they're in the octagon, they're both in like fight of the night caliber like opportunities. Absolutely. So you put those two together, it's just fireworks, man. Oh, you so just you you know exactly what you're gonna get. I mean, Danny guys used to getting uh, bonuses. Shane Burgos used to getting bonuses. That fight would be bananas. That would be a great fight. Yeah. All right, there we go. We've uh, other than figuring out what the hell you're gonna do with Max and. Volkanovsky and and if that rematch is happening or what. Other than that, we figured out the 145 division. 
Um, <laughs> how much fun is tied to Ivasa? Man, uh, I, he's a he's a star. Like with with everything. Like when, whenever he comes out in the weigh-ins and everything, the crowd's going crazy. Like him. everyone loves his celebrations and in his fighting style, a, a heavyweight slugger. I mean, it all speaks for itself, man. Uh, you know, Ty, he's gotten a lot better since, um, like, he came into the sport not really having too much skill. He just relied on his power. But once people started figuring him out, he started to lose. And then he's really, like, went back and really, like, tightened up his skills. And it's really uh, shown. To, to be the guy like Augusto Sakai, who a lot of people are really high on in the UFC, um, a lot of people thought that uh, that he could be a future champion. And he's been in, in main events and stuff, so... Uh, this is a big win for Ty. He, he wasn't ranked at the time, and Augusto was like a number 10 or 11. Yeah. That's a really massive win for Ty. Um, really massive win. Yeah, I've never been there with Sakai in terms of thinking he's a future champion. I just, I, I don't know what it is. I, he's, he's polished for a big guy, right? Like, uh, but I, I just feel like there's something missing there that I can't quite figure out. And uh, I, this is one where I think the most surprising part of this, you know, you knew what Ty wanted to do in this fight. It was get into a firefight. And if you try and play the patient game with Sakai, like, again, he's he's polished. So he probably wins in that style of fight. But it was pretty clear, Will, like there was a massive power differential here. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Augusto didn't want to be in a, in, a, in a brawl with Ty, but, uh, you know, Ty, his pressure, his pace, um, the way he was setting traps to get him up against the fence. Um yeah, Ty, there was just no uh, avoiding it for Augusto. Like, Ty uh, is is agile enough to 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 stay with Augusto. Like, Augusto's able to move and stuff, but Ty's just, he, he's right there with him. Uh, he doesn't have the look of someone who can move that like that with uh, how his belly looks and stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> but Ty uh, setting traps and uh, getting him in the in the corner and just being able to um, unload shots, and uh, Augusto wasn't able to wasn't able to withstand him, man. Uh, Ty, man, it's crazy to see because Ty's gotten so much better, man. He has gotten so much better. And he came into the sport, and he was and he was pretty good already. I think he's a problem, man. His power alone, it's 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 a problem for sure. There's only two fights for me to make with Ty Tuivasa next. Only two. You want to guess? Yes, I do want to guess. Okay. And uh, it one is Derek Lewis. That is correct. And two is uh, Rosenstrike. That is correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th those events. two matchups. That's a main yeah. event. Those two on paper, especially if it's Derek Lewis. Uh, yeah, sign me up for both of those. I mean, right now, in terms of just, you know, outside of Francis, obviously, in terms of one-punch power and just, I mean, watching two guys stand in front of each other and try and, and end the fight with one swing, I mean, the three names are Derek Lewis, Jersinho Rosenstrike, and Tai Tuivasa. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, Derek Lewis obviously fights this weekend. But I think that Tuivasa and Rosenstrike matchup, uh, I think that could be that could be next. That, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I don't know what uh, Jarzino is ranked right now, but I think uh, at this point they would be ranked pretty close with with, uh, with Ty beating the number 11 guy, and then Jarzino is probably in the 7 to 10 range. Rosenstrike is 6, Ty is 11. Sandwich would, sandwiched between them is Chris Dacus, uh, Abdur Rakimov, uh, Tabura, and Aspinall. But yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I, I would say this. that t That's the obvious one to make. But I think given the star power of Tai Tuivasa, like, and maybe what happens this weekend with Derek Lewis, like, those two guys are fan favorites. Everybody loves their personalities on top of the one-punch knockout power. And as far as, like, a draw for a main event, Derek Lewis, Tai Tuivasa dwarfs, I think, the, the reaction to maybe a Rosen strike. 
uh, tied to Ivasa, which again, on paper makes more sense, but from a draw standpoint, I think Derek Lewis tied to Ivasa would be a massive home run. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're trying to find a heavyweight main event, I mean, that's the perfect one to go with. I mean, I mean, sure, you could go with the Tom Aspinalls and everything, but as as far as you know, fan favorites getting a heavyweight matchup that everyone's gonna love to see, uh, knockout power of the highest degree between the two guys. Uh, yeah. Funny as hell, both guys. You know, you got one guy who does shoeies and one guy who uh, balls is hot and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, per- perfect matchup in the main event. Derek Lewis and Ty Tuivasa. By the way, so Ty Tuivasa walks out to Barbie Girl. And in his post-fight press conference, he's asked, why did you walk out to the song Barbie Girl? And he says, because I'm a Barbie girl. <laughs> what? Well, well, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, just that just Gold. that itself makes you makes the, the that Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa fight that much more intriguing because like what the hell are these guys going to say in the lead up at the at the press conferences and everything I mean at the media days and stuff like these guys could say anything and I mean they're not there's not any animosity but you just want to hear all the wild outrageous shit that they're going to say yeah yeah um, all right, so we could probably spend another hour talking about the rest of the fights on this card I'll just quickly say holy cow for Bruno Silva uh, Andre Muniz, incredible performance. Uh, Ryan Hall bounces back with a win over Derek Minner. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see uh, Randy Costa lose to Tony Kelly. Um, maybe, well, this fight's probably so underrated on this card, even going in, but especially coming out given everything that happened. But Aaron Blanchfield over Miranda Maverick was a shocker. And, I mean, all of a sudden, like, Aaron Blanchfield made a name for herself Saturday. Holy cow, what a performance. Now, now, um, yeah, Bruno Silva looked outstanding. Ryan Hall got back on track. Yeah, I was surprised to see Randy Costa lose to Tony Kelly, but Tony Kelly definitely came out and uh, really pressured him. Jillian uh, Robinson uh, opened the night with the with the submission, with, and the girl was trying to gouge her eyes out, yeah. and she said, "I didn't really, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know what I was doing. You knew exactly what you do, what you were doing. You did it multiple times." But um, yeah, to, to I want to, man, Miranda Maverick. I really thought that she was going to be uh, the a future champion. She really, she still could be, but I mean, Aaron Blanchfield, man, I, I was, I was shocked because I, I've really been behind Miranda Maverick, but for Aaron Blanchfield to go out there and completely shut her out, man. I mean, she, she's only like 21, 22 years old. She has massive amounts of potential. She's so strong. She's, she can control the fight. Um, I don't think you you really should like build it up too fast, but I, I think that we've got something here with with Aaron Blanchfield in this division for sure. Agreed. I, I like she was one that I thought you know down the road will be really good, but I just thought in this matchup and and you know I, I took this matchup for granted because I thought Miranda Maverick is just so much more established, right? So much more experienced, so much more polished that uh, like to me, I just thought this will be a Miranda Maverick win. And uh, I mean, not only was it not, but like it was, I, I just thought Aaron Blanchfield looked unbelievable in that fight and and look we I think we both agree that Miranda Maverick should have beat Macy Barber on the scorecards I I think that was uh, a bit of a robbery uh, from a a scoring standpoint she's lost two in a row she's only 24 so I don't think it's the end for Miranda Maverick by any means but my biggest takeaway isn't as much like the Miranda Maverick side of this and maybe like not thinking her upside is what it was as much as like doors are opening for Aaron Blanchfield like holy cow yeah she's She's tough, man. And for her, she's only 22 years old. Uh, she's got 
so much skill to be that young. It's it's crazy. I don't think I've ever seen anyone that young outside of a John Jones who can just come in uh, and be that young and just have that uh, amount of skill. Like Miranda Maverick was good. Uh, like when when she debuted and stuff, when we saw her a few years ago, like you could tell she had some some potential, but not like this. Like Aaron Blanchfield, like this, like this is something that uh, that yeah. you're really gonna have to pay attention to in the future. Yeah. All right, you uh, you ready to make some picks? Well, I, I have one last thing on this card, and we'll put it to bed. Okay. Andre Andre Muniz, man, this this yeah. guy is a problem at middleweight for in a division where there's a lot of stand up guys and guys who don't really go into the ground like that. Um. Andre Muniz is a problem. Uh, the way that he can just ragdoll people and just get them into submissions, it's um, it's a problem. And uh, I think uh, he's going to be in the championship discussion here pretty soon because I don't really see anybody uh, going coming up who's going to be able to stop him. He's he's going to be someone to, to watch out for for sure. Uh, his his wins: armbar, inverted armbar, armbar, decision, <laughs> rear naked choke, decision, armbar, uh, KO, punch, guillotine, triangle, guillotine, Darce. Arm triangle, guillotine, arm triangle, triangle, <laughs> like. Man, I mean, he he he's a finisher. Obviously, he he can wrap up submissions for from anywhere. I mean, to 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 submit a guy like Jacare yeah. Souza, who is a, a a high level black belt, to submit him in the way he did, break his arm like that, yep. retire him. I mean, I knew that this guy was a problem then, but to see how he did, Eric Anders. Eric Anders is a big dude. And for Andre Muniz to get him down like that and, and to uh, wrap him up in a submission, yeah, this guy is uh, is a problem. I love it. Speaking of problems, before we make picks, I, I saw that there's a little smoke around potentially getting Hamzat Shemaev and Colby Covington in the octagon in February. Wow, I did not know this. A little uh, smoke. I'm I, not, yeah, I don't know if it's going to turn out, but uh, I, I got a big smile on my face. I mean, I like it for the buildup. Uh, I, I I don't really like this the fight itself for Kobe. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of small on the smaller side of welterweights yeah. <laughs> out there, and Hamzat is as big. I mean, he should be fighting a middleweight. Uh, for him to make 170, I know it's tough for him, but when he gets in there, he's he, he's he's solid, man. Uh, I don't know. Kobe's gonna have to use all the skill that he possesses, and he has a lot of skill. He's gonna have to be really active. But I could definitely see Hamzat ragdolling <laughs> Kobe Covington. All I'm saying is, uh, if if in February we have Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker as the main event, our co-main event, Dustin Poirier, Nate Diaz, and leading into that is Hamzat Shemaev and Kobe Covington, bro. We're starting the year off on a good note if that happens. Yes. And it's going to be in Houston. I didn't get to go to the one on my birthday. I might have to get road to that trip, one for sure. Road trip? That would be <laughs> what an incredible fight card that would be. All right, so here's where we are. You have an eight-point lead going into the final fight card of 2021. Uh, there are eight points available, by the way, on this fight card. So I would have to win every fight to tie you, and then uh, we would have to have a, uh, a tiebreaker. I will say this. I, uh, I looked at this fight card, and I thought, if there was ever a fight card with a whole bunch of 50-50 coin flip-type fights... This would be the one I would want to go into having to take coin flip fights. So I, I actually love the fact that if I'm just forced to go on the opposite side of you for the sake of getting points, that it's on this card because I feel like all of these fights are, are coin flip type fights. Now, I, you know, I'm kind of on the other side. I think uh, the last fight night with Fight and Aldo, if that would have been the card that we would have uh, had to do this on, I would have felt a lot worse because you saw how bad I did. Uh, I was so conflicted, but I think I'm... See, I was solidly on, on, on my fighters in that one across the board. This one, I'm so conflicted in almost every fight. 
I, you see, I'm kind of on the other side. I'm, okay. I'm kind of, I'm kind of comfortable with, uh, with my picks. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well, then we will find out. All right. So eight points needed to tie this thing up, and uh, it, it literally takes one win for you, and I will be taking a shoey, which uh, I'm not excited <laughs> about. But uh, here we go. Yeah. Look, look, look. Before we start, if if there's ever if if you come out of this on top, if I have to do the shoey, I mean, I think I'm just gonna stop watching MMA altogether because if I if I if I choke this one away and I have to do this shoey, yeah. I mean, for all the years that I've been watching MMA, there's no way that I should lose this. Yeah. Being with with with, with the lead that I have, I should not lose this. But crazier things have happened. You'd have to go 0 for 6 on this card. Th- there's no way. <laughs> there's I don't know, no- man. I don't know. There's no way I could go over six, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see, man. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's possible. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm just, I'm, I'm just letting you know. Like, there's, I, I, like, I feel like I'm Juliana Pena right now. Like, oh my gosh. Don't, okay. <laughs> although this will probably be an, a bigger upset than Juliana Pena beating Amanda Nunes, but yeah, because I basically have you down four rounds to zero, right? Yes. Well, not four rounds to zero, but basically, because I'm going in with a massive lead, and you have to just go, you have to climb the mountain to get, you know, just to get a tie, and then we would, you know. This is like the final ten seconds of like Korean Zombie and Yair. Perfect. That that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Or exactly. or the final seconds of Derek Lewis and Volkov. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, for sure. Literally has I, to be. I, a, I have I have the win right now. I just have to. Solidify. I, I I can't do a Leon Edwards and get and get uh get comfortable. That's right. Because then I might get cracked like Nate Diaz did. To That's him. right. That's right. All right. Here we go. We start at the featherweight division. Will what an awesome matchup this is. It is Darren Elkins twenty six and nine overall against Cub Swanson twenty seven and twelve overall. Oddshark.com has Cub Swanson minus one eighty eight. Darren Elkins plus one fifty. Uh, can we just say how awesome it is that these two guys are matching up with each other? Yeah, this is a uh, for the hardcore fans. This is a very very fun matchup. I mean, uh, we've watched Darren Elkins for for years. We've seen Cub Swanson for years. Uh, Cub Swanson, who was really close to a title shot, like he's he was a featherweight contender for years before he uh, tore his ACL. Uh, Darren Elkins always gives fun, entertaining fights. The fact that these two are matched up together, it's um and and it's the opening fight. Uh, it's we're automatically from the first fight uh, of the main card, we're going to be entertained uh, to the highest degree, but. Um, for this fight, man, I think to be quite honest with you, I think from the first fight, I think I'm going to, this is, I'm going to solidify the win off the, off the bat. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I think this is a Cub Swanson win. Uh, I think Darren Elkins is good. He's very durable. You think you got him down, but he comes back, uh, and, and, and somehow gets a win, gets a finish after almost getting finished. I think Cub is just... I think he's just so experienced. Um, he's been there, done that. He's going to pick his shots. Uh, he's he's been around for so long. I don't think he's going to make those same mistakes that the guys uh, that have lost to Darren Elkins before have have made. I think uh, Cub is going to get this win. Okay, this is probably the one that I felt the least confident about. Like in terms of if if I had to actually pick a winner, this would be the one that I would struggle with the most. Uh, so I, I'm more than happy to take whatever side you don't in this one. Uh, so yeah, give me. Uh, Give me the damage, Darren Elkins. Um, like you said, like this is a guy that uh, is extremely durable, that is going to try to take you into the deep waters if he can, and uh, uh, if he can if he can survive Cub, I think early, then this is going to be a really interesting fight. Uh, it's going to be a great fight anyway, but uh, yeah, give me Dar- Darren Elkins. I'm more than happy to take whatever side of this you don't like. So 
There we go. You could solidify it with a Cub Swanson win in the first fight of this fight card. All right, we head to the lightweight division. This is also a really awesome matchup. Diego Fajeda, 17 and 4 overall. Matus Gamrot, 19 and 1 overall. Oddshark.com has Gamrot as a minus 175 favorite, plus 150 for Diego Fajeda, who is the ranked fighter, by the way, in this uh, in this matchup. Yeah, you know, Diego Fajeda is uh, very, very talented. Um, he he's he's ranked. Uh, his last one. I forgot who it was oh uh gregor gillespie yeah uh he came in he missed weight uh you know it was a it was a close fight he almost put him out of there but uh you know he uh kind of gassed out towards the end and gregor kind of uh was able to edge out a decision but uh you know in this one you know he looks like he's in uh, in really good shape uh he looked uh great at the face-offs uh and on the scale but i think uh uh Gamrod at this point i think they're just out on different um different levels in terms of where their careers are going right now I think uh, Diego's on the way down, and Gamrod is just continuing to show that he's a he's a problem at lightweight. He's uh he's unranked, but he's one of those prospects where you know, um, he's got a a, a really really bright future. So uh, I'm going on uh, Gamrod on this one. I, th- I I to me it's just I, I feel like we've reached this point where for Diego it's just a matter of like what's left after the weight cut because if if you get like the first round against Gregor Gillespie he looked fantastic. And then he just had nothing left in the tank, and and the fight was over. I mean, if if there's enough in the tank to to fight, then I like Diego. But you just don't know at what point like that gas tank reaches empty. Uh, I'm gonna take Diego, obviously, because I'm I'm going on the opposite side of you. Um, this was another one though that like if I were just giving my pick, I'm I'm massively conflicted in. But I would I would lead Gamrot as well here, uh, just for uh you know, if I were picking a winner. Uh, despite the point situation. All right, uh, fight number three on this fight card. Rafael Asuncao, 27 and 8 overall. Ricky Simone, 18 and 3 overall in what we agree is the deepest division in the UFC at bantamweight. Oddshark.com has Ricky Simone as a minus 275 favorite, plus 225 for a Now, I kind of thought that uh, these odds should be a little bit more, uh, a little bit closer. Um I like this matchup. Uh, I know that uh, Asun Sal has kind of been on the downward slope as of late. He's lost to Cody Garbrandt, Corey Sanhagen, and Marlon Moraes. But, I mean, we have to realize, like, this is a guy who's also beat Marlon Moraes. He's also beat Aljamain Sterling. He's beat Rob Font. He's beat TJ Dillashaw. Pedro. Um, he's beat Pedro. Like, he's beaten the who's who. Just are we at the point where uh, this is going to be – like he's he's on the downward slope. Is he is he going to continue to go down or is he going to come out with the win? You know, I think that uh, Ricky Simone is really he's really talented. Um, I can't say like this is a guy who choked out Marab. <laughs> I mean, uh, out of everyone that we've seen Marab fight, I mean Ricky Simone is the guy who who got him out of there. So this is a really intriguing fight. Out of all the fights that we've had or that that are on this card, this is the one where I've went uh, had the most trouble with. Um, I mean, a, a huge part of me wants to just go Ricky Simone, uh, but I'm, I still want to give, you know, a Sunsal his his credit where it's due because he's a guy he's so experienced. Um, man, this one's this one's tough. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Sunsal. Okay. Yeah, I think this is another fight where I I, I don't really feel like the odds align with what my expectation is of this fight. I think it's going to be a good fight. I, I think it comes down to asking yourself the question, 
Like, is a Sun Tso on the decline, or is it just a matter of he's accomplished so much that every fight is against a killer, and he's just been on the wrong side of fights against killers, right? Like, you could... Right. Like, people could ask the same question about Corey Sandhagen. Like, is Corey Sandhagen declining? No, Corey Sandhagen's not declining. He's just fighting the very best of the best, and he's just been on the wrong side of, of the last two. So, I don't know if that's the answer for a Sun Tso. Maybe he is declining, but it's certainly at least a question to ask, because he's only fought the elite of the elite for years now. Um... I think given given the choice to take either one of these two dudes, I would lean Ricky Simone. Uh, so this works out uh, for me to take it anyway to be opposite you. But uh, Ricky Simone would have been my pick uh, either way. But I uh, again, I, I've said this since the beginning. I, I feel like this fight card is full of fights that, in my mind, are close enough to coin flips in most of them that um, I, I feel like there's a fighting chance nearly across the board. There's not like a a well that's an obvious win in in any of these uh maybe outside of the next one which is the one that i feel the most confident one way or the other <laughs> on the entire fight card uh so we head to women's straw weights amanda limosh 10 1 and 1 overall angela hill 13 and 10 overall oddshark.com has limosh as a minus 350 favorite plus 275 for angela hill yeah like like you said i mean this one's pretty uh pretty easy um you know, Angela Hill is is very tough. Um, she's going to be, uh, as long as this fight lasts, like Angela Hill is going to be in there. She's going to be, um, uh, she's going to be in her face. She's going to be pressuring her. But I think Amanda Lemos, I think she's on, uh, she's on the path to becoming a, a real title uh, contender in this division. Uh, she's a finisher. Uh, she can finish it on the ground or on the feet. Um, I think she's just got tons of, and tons of talent and and upside. So uh, my pick is Lemos. If we were still doing the confidence points structure, uh, this would be my number one confident point in favor of Limosh. Uh, but again, uh, I, I'm going opposite because I've got to get the points. So um, let's just hope that, uh, for my sake at least, uh, if I'm still alive at this point, uh, that it is uh, Angela Hill that gets the win. Uh, all right. Uh, co-main event, we have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, 16-5-1 overall. Bilal Muhammad, 19-3 overall in a welterweight division that... Uh, is, is pretty wild in terms of trying to figure out a path to who's next for, I think, what most people consider to be uh, the current pound-for-pound pound king of the sport in Kamaru Usman. Uh, Oddshark.com has Wonderboy at minus 250, plus 210 for Bilal Muhammad. Man, uh, you know, this one's pretty tough. But uh, I have a lot of faith in uh, Wonder Boy, especially coming off of a loss against a guy who is kind of similar to um, Bilal and Gilbert Burns. I feel like Bilal presents a lot of the same uh, problems that Gilbert uh, presented. But I think uh, coming off of a loss and knowing uh, the and knowing what Gilbert did to beat him, I feel like Steven uh, is going to – I think this is going to be a um, – 30-27 type fight where we where we're reminded how good Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is. I, I just don't see, uh, and you know Bilal is really good, but I just don't see, I just don't see how, where Bilal is just going to do what Gilbert did. Yeah. I think after that loss, like Stephen's going to be very well trained, and uh, he's going to see openings that he didn't capitalize on in the first in the fight with Burns, where he'll capitalize uh, with Bilal. So uh, this is a Wonderboy win for me. So this would probably be my second if we were doing confidence points in terms of Wonderboy. Uh, and, you know, I think like anytime you, you 
put Wonder Boy against a a stand up fighter, like it's just it's hard to pick against Wonder Boy, right? Um, I, I don't think that even though I think the belief is that that Bilal's a, a well rounded guy in terms of like skill level to to taking this fight to where Wonder Boy doesn't want it to be, he's not at the level of like a Gilbert Burns by any means. Um, but I will say this, he's tough, right? He can take damage. Uh, he's not going to fade from a gas tank standpoint. And he's well-rounded enough that uh, that there's at least a chance that maybe this fight could go uh, somewhere that Wonder Boy doesn't want it to go. But yeah, I think uh, I, my anticipation is this is going to be a stand-up fight and Wonder Boy is going to do what Wonder Boy does in stand-up fights. And that's uh, prevent Bilal from, from really ever uh, having a massive impact on the fight, which, you know, is not anything against Bilal. It's just to the credit of Wonder Boy, and it's why Wonder Boy is going to be a Hall of Famer when his career is all said and done. So uh, I'm uh, I'm on Bilal's side for point's sake, but uh, this would be a Wonder Boy win for me otherwise. All right, Will, our main event. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you pick here because uh, I think this is a really interesting fight. Um, I, I think most people just kind of feel like Derek Lewis, Chris Dawkins, like why? Like that's a main event. Um Derek Lewis, 25 and 8 overall. Chris Dawkins, 12 and 3 overall. How about this? Uh, Dawkins, minus 125. Derek Lewis is plus 100 on fight day here, Will. So Chris Dawkins is actually your betting favorite tonight for the main event. Uh, like I said, I, I love this matchup. Um, and I honestly wouldn't have known which way I was going to go if I was picking first. So curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, so... Um... The Sun Sal Ricky Simone fight was was tough, and the same thing with this uh, Dawkins and Derek Lewis fight. Um, you know, a lot of people will want to write off Derek Lewis for his performance against Surreal Gone, but Surreal Gone is a is a really tough puzzle to solve. Um, really tough puzzle. But Chris Dawkins, you know, in a lot of his wins, you kind of see him getting into uh, into brawls, and you kind of see just seeing him, you know, coming out on the other side of, you know, being getting being unscathed and getting the win, knocking someone out. I think his last win against uh, Shamil, uh, not even gonna try to say his last name. I think that was a bit, that was a good win because uh, Shamil has has had a really really solid chin, and Chris Dawkins was able to uh, to knock him out and land some really really uh, beautiful shots on him. But for for what I've seen, both of these guys. Uh, with their fighting style and stuff, I feel like this is going to be a, a, a little bit of a brawl. Uh, and if it, if it does get in the close quarters, I, I just don't see how you can bet against Derek Lewis in a fight like that. But I say that, and then what if Chris Dawkins comes out and shows his other skills, like uh, getting a getting a takedown uh, and controlling this fight on the ground? So um, I thought I would talk myself into leaning one way or the other. I was almost on one side, and then I came back to the other side. It's it's, it's tough. Um, man, Chris Dawkins is more of a finisher, man, than a than a guy who would want to take this to the ground. Um, give me, give me. <laughs> I almost had a name out and then I, I took it back. I almost I did. I almost had a name. Heard the brake screeching. <laughs> yeah. <Perch>. Definitely. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. It was almost out too. Ah, uh, man, this was tough. I know, God, I right? I did not think this was going to be that tough. Um Oh man. Do you have a pick? I literally going opposite. But if you want, I'll make a pick like it, you know, it's I'm 50-50, so I'll make a pick. 
Damn. You want man, me to make a pick? One... Yeah. Go uh, ahead, man. Give me Derek Lewis. Man. It's like now that you made your pick, I'm like, man, I should have took Derek Lewis. Well, okay. it, I, I, like it's it's uh the only reason I do that is because you just feel like or not feel like you know Derek Lewis could potentially end this fight at any moment. And while Chris Dawkins is the more skilled guy, and if he fights a disciplined fight, this could be a, a, a you know a, a runaway for Chris Dawkins in the point department. Uh, but it, it only takes one for Derek Lewis. And over the if this were a three round fight, I think it would be a little bit easier for me if I had to pick first to go Dawkins. The fact that it's a five rounder, like at some point you feel like there's going to be an exchange where Derek Lewis is able to throw something, and that that to me would be I mean twenty five minutes. For Derek Lewis to land the one shot that he needs to, to land to win it. So that's kind of why I would go Derek Lewis. But like I said, to me, this was maybe the hardest fight on the entire card to pick. And or the what did I the hardest fight on the card to pick? I don't know. I, I feel like I may have said that wrong. Um <laughs> as I'm like thinking about the fight, I'm I'm not paying attention to what words I'm saying. Uh I don't know what's happening right now. But yeah, like it's uh that's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. But I'll take Lewis. Now now how how um how much would you hate me if I just went ahead and picked Derek Lewis also? <laughs> I'm, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm going picking to... second, so if I'm taking the opposite of you no matter what. So I, Yeah, I mean I'm I'm not going to do that. I mean yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. But yeah, we're going opposite each other. You pick I had you, you know, just pick someone, so I'd go opposite. So uh you picked uh Derek Lewis, so I'll go with uh I'll go with Dacus, but um this one's really tough. I could see yeah. either guy winning. This one's really, really tough. I like it's one of those where you just kind of feel like Dawkins is probably going to look like the the better guy for most of it. But uh, you said it best. I mean, you said Dawkins is a finisher, right? Like he's at some point you just feel like over the course of five rounds, there's going to be an exchange where Derek Lewis is going to have a chance to throw a big bomb. And look, maybe Dawkins lands a big bomb, right? Like I, I, I think it would be yeah. foolish to just assume that Dawkins doesn't have the ability to also finish this fight. Cause I think he does. But I think in terms of having that ability, he potentially puts himself in a position where he can get hit. And, you know, Derek Lewis, like I said, only needs one. So that's that's just the way I would go. But this is a, I, I mean, Chris Dawkins is the betting favorite over a guy that is as popular as anybody in the sport for a reason, right? Like, these these people that put these odds out generally know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think... Um... Skill wise, you got to give it to Dacus, but I think the the odds are are so close because you're they're really respecting Derek Lewis's power, um, and you know we've seen just with with one hit, Curtis Blades, all the skill in the world, but yeah. one shot put his lights out. Alexander Volkov was winning the fight for 14 minutes, and in the last 30 seconds, Derek Lewis knocks him out. Like uh, the fight could be over at any point, so Chris Dacus. Uh, needs to be he needs to proceed with caution because Derek Lewis could end this fight at any point. But uh, Chris Dawkins is a finisher himself, so yeah. Derek Lewis is gonna have to be careful as well. It's gonna be an awesome fight card, man. I can't wait. Yeah, man. For for this one to be the last one of the year, and then we have four weeks off, four or five, whatever oh. the, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to really um, take this in, take this whole fight card in, because we're going to be without it for the next. Four weeks. It's going to be tough, but I mean, I, I hope that NBA basketball, NFL, and uh, college football can just uh, get me through it. But I'm going to miss 
MMA for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, all that's uh, all those leagues are suffering COVID issues right now. We'll see if uh, they're all able to stay alive over the next uh, month uh, without having to like halt everything for a period of time. Um, I will say this. I, I so I kind of got behind. I, I was just so busy for for a, a few weeks where I got behind on my contender series episodes. So I think I have four contender epi- contender series episodes that I was going to catch up on like a week or two ago, and I thought I'll just wait until after the final fight card of 2021 and fill that gap from the final 2021 card to the first 2022 card with contender series fights. So that's, uh, that's how I'm going to, uh, fill my, that's, my month long break. That's, de- that's definitely smart. The, Cause the contender series, these are guys who are fighting for their, for their livelihoods. You know, yep. they're trying to get to the, uh, to the next spot in their careers. Um, so definitely you're going to see some very, very good fights, but speaking of fights, um, I want to get your thoughts on uh, this Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley. Oh. I mean, that, that fight card is also today. Um, two fights I want to get your thoughts on uh, before the, before these fights kick off. There's uh, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, and then there's uh, Darren Williams and Frank Gore. <laughs> uh, I just I, There's no way I could bet against Frank Gore. Uh, so I'll take Frank Gore. I, like, I literally have no idea what to expect, and when, when I heard this fight, I just thought, well, Frank Gore's not going to take, like, Frank Gore doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's just going to do this for the sake of, like, getting his name out there, like, so I have to imagine, like, Frank Gore's tough dude, like, gonna, gonna present something, uh, and then I found out Darren Williams has been, like, uh, training uh, mixed martial arts for a long time, and is even, like, a, a co-owner of a gym, and uh, all that, Sports so. MMA, a, a, yeah. a pretty big gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know, but I, I'll take Frank Gore there. And then, uh, I, I mean, I just, I feel like this thing is rigged and there's no way that Jake Paul is going to take the rematch against Woodley without like having something in the contract, I guess, that probably prevents Woodley from actually winning the fight. So, and for some reason, Woodley just doesn't want to fucking fight. Right. It's yeah. like, go, go get in a fight. And then he's in there and doesn't want to fight. And then he's mad. Cause he, he didn't fight and didn't get the win. Uh, so I guess, uh, I mean, Woodley will probably get the bigger shots, but I'd probably pick Jake Paul. Yeah, and then now they say there's a clause in the contract where uh, if Woodley knocks him out, then he gets an extra five hundred thousand um, dollars. But what are the you know we've just seen so much of of Woodley just not being aggressive, even back to his MMA days. Um, just it's it's been the same. Uh, it's been the same type of fights for Woodley ever since he lost the the welterweight title. And like I don't even been... want to watch this because I don't want to watch and get frustrated. <laughs> with Tyron Woodley not fighting. Like, I don't and, like and watching is, the guy anymore. He's He doesn't fight. Yeah. Like, he's in a fight but won't fight. Like, who wants to watch that shit? I'd rather watch Jake Paul look like an ass clown against <laughs> anybody than watch Tyron Woodley be in a fight and not fight. It's the most frustrating thing ever. Yeah, and as a guy who's a fan of, of, of T. Wood, man, it's it's been very underwhelming to watch him these last few years. I'm kind of on the fence, but it's just like he kind of – he knows how to sell a fight. He knows how to make you believe that he's going to go out there and actually do something. Uh, he knows how to sell a fight, but when he gets out there, it's just always the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is a fight he should win with with how powerful he is. Yeah. I mean, there's no way that Jake Paul should be able to to last eight rounds. I don't know if it's still eight rounds uh, uh, again, but, um, yeah, T. Wood should win this, but just will he allow himself to – to go out there and fight. Yeah, I That's can't wait until I all day say I'm not going to watch it, and then inevitably I pull it up and I watch it, and then I get pissed that Tyron Woodley won't fight in a fight, and that's 
already know what's going to happen. You, and I'm yeah, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. the UFC fights are going to end, and then you're going to be like, well, uh, you know, I don't really know what to watch. There's not really yeah. much on college football right now. It's not really. I don't really want to watch the same NBA game. Oh, there's Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley. You're yeah. going to pull it up, and you're going to get a little excited. You know, they're going to walk out to the to the ring. You're going to get a little excited, and they're going to be let, let down. That's yep. exactly what happens to me. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, by the way, I think our prelims start at like three o'clock today. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, that's correct. So early start. All right. So next week we will, uh, obviously review this fight card. Uh, I most likely will be taking a shoey and we will, uh, put together our, uh, end of the year fight awards. Uh, so that should be, that should be a little bit of, of fun and maybe salvage, uh, the bad time that I'm going to have with a shoey. But, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what's coming next week as, uh, again, this is the final fight card of 2021. All right. What a year it's been. I mean, uh, what a year it's been. I mean, it seems like it just started. It, it seems like Max Holloway, Calvin Cater was just a couple weeks ago. And, like, just thinking of all the fights that we've seen, Dustin and Connor had a rivalry. Uh, Israel Adesanya defended the title. Kamaru Usman has had three fights this year. Um, so much. We're going to have so much to talk about next week, but what a year it's been, man. Yeah. And uh, to end it with this, it's going to be going to be a solid night of fights. That's what will be fun about the uh, the us uh, doing the, the, like, end of the year fight awards is kind of reliving everything that happened this year. Cause Holy shit. It's, I mean, massive home run for the UFC in 2021. Uh, has, do you think this has been since you've been watching the best year the UFC's had? I think in back to back years, it's been the best year that the UFC has had at, at the end of 2020. I thought, I mean, this is the best year they've ever had. And now I think like it's been superseded by what happened this year. And again, I think a lot of it is they, you know, from a national standpoint, the pandemic kind of opened the door for them to be able to be like the, you know, the feature attraction, if you will, with everything else shut down. And to their credit, when they realized like we're getting a lot more eyeballs, they stepped up their game and they delivered, right? Like they not only delivered with, with, uh, fight cards on a consistent basis, but quality fight cards. I mean, every single weekend, it seemed, I mean, they, they home run. I, I just, I, I don't know what else you can say. Like, I feel like I'm not even giving it enough credit the way I'm describing it, but what they've been able to accomplish with, you know, their window opening to grow the sport in back-to-back years, they've taken advantage of it. And, and, you know, we are the, uh, the recipients of, of what has just been awesome growth for the sport and awesome fight cards week after week after week. Yeah. Week after week. And it's, it's crazy that they're able to put on such good fight cards, like, and all these pay-per-views. I mean, I felt like they just, you don't really believe that a Conor McGregor fight card, like th- that there could be something bigger or better or get you more excited. But there's been a few of these fight cards where I'm just like, uh, this, I yeah. would, I would rather watch this card than watch a, a card with Conor McGregor at the top of the bill. So Green. yeah, the, the UFC has just been firing on all cylinders and you know, I can't wait for 2022, man. If, if they, if they can possibly have a better year in 2022 than they've had these last couple years, man, <laughs> it's going to be outstanding, man. Well, I just hope that uh, Darren Elkins at least keeps it alive for me longer than, than one fight today. So I would se- I would settle for that. I would like to go into at least the second fight of the main card with a chance. It'd be pretty defeating if I lost out of the gate, but we'll see. Let's go, Cub. <laughs> take, take his heart out. Fatality, just like in Mortal Kombat. Finish him, Cub. Finish him. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, buddy. Uh, we will catch up next week. Um, obviously, we will be in touch uh, I'm sure this evening as as all of this uh, develops, but uh, another episode next week. That is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. It is fight day, everyone. Enjoy.
podcast is over.